Black Doctors Podcast. Hello, welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. I am Steven, your host. This is a random kind of Friday afternoon episode of the show. Time got away from me. I was actually going, you know, I try to post every Monday and I was late last week, late this week. It's a kind of a pattern. And I was going to let this week slide by and just start up again Monday, but I haven't uh, missed a week in almost two years, a year, year and a half, two years. So I was like, you know, let me jump on real quick and post something that you may find entertaining, inspirational. I don't know. And then we'll be back Monday with some new episodes. Fantastic lineup. We're going to sit down Monday, have a talk with uh, or about the Student National Medical Association. Privileged to have the current president of the organization on the show, along with Dr. Lavanani. A uh, constant friend of the show. He's an emergency medicine physician. He was my class president back when I was at Howard University. Um, he he joins to kind of talk about the history of SNMA. They're gearing up for a huge year, a big conference. It's the 60th year anniversary of the organization. So we're going to talk Monday. If you tune in, you'll hear about the history of the organization and a lot of the things that it's doing to support the mission and increasing diversity in healthcare and the quality of care provided to underrepresented minorities. And then we're going to follow that episode up with an interview between Dr. Lebanani and Dr. Mize, student Dr. Mize, who is the current president of the SNMA. Don't want to miss that. Registration is open for the conference. And as a matter of fact, early bird registration ends, I think like uh, the 14th. So it's coming up soon. If you want to get that early bird rate for the hotels, Rooms are starting to sell out, so definitely sign up if you plan on going. Another future episode coming up, Dr. Robert Ray joins us. If you recognize the name, he wrote a, a fantastic blog piece detailing his experience as an emergency medicine resident, some of the different scenarios he encountered, the microaggressions, microaggressions, uh, avert racist comments, and uh, some of the, the issues that surrounded his uh the way he expressed that the fact that black lives matter it's a awesome blog piece and he was kind enough to come on the show and just kind of give some backstory on what was going on and things that he experienced and why he chose that that path so it was definitely enlightening it was inspiring to me to talk to him so definitely tune in that'll be coming up in a couple of weeks for me, I have been super busy. It's been, you know, coming off like life is starting to get back to normal. But I did the last week I was in the ICU. I practice as a critical care anesthesiologist. So my time is split 50-50. And when I'm on service in the ICU, I work it's about 84 hours. It's a seven, 12-hour shifts, whether they're day shifts or night shifts. So I just came off last week from a, uh, a week on service. And so the first couple of days, I just kind of relax and get life back to normal. And if I don't have any podcast episodes recorded, then I have to like come up with some new stuff. So that's one reason why the episode is delayed this week. And again, don't want to mess up the uh, the streak. So here we are. Uh, it's been a super rewarding week. I started off super rocky. So Monday was my first day off and I went to see a patient because, uh, you know, my whole residency fellowship career, I was at a tertiary care center. I was at the hospital that normally receives outside hospital transfers. And my current institution, it's a big cancer center. 
And so we don't have like some of the capabilities of other large tertiary care centers. Like we're great at cancer, but you know, other ancillary services, namely like we don't have like a robust cardiac uh, ICU component of the care. So occasionally, depending on what happens during the week, you know, may need to send patients to a different hospital that does have those capabilities. It's kind of a new experience for me being the outside hospital and referring patients. And now I'm like, man, I should have been a little nicer to all those uh, outside hospital physicians that are sending patients, uh, to, you know, to, to my academic center. I realize, you know, why patients come transported on fentanyl and Versed infusions and, you know, basic infusions like phenylephrine. Cause you know, when you're transporting, you want them pretty stable and things that are easily titrated. So over the last couple of months, you know, having to, having to transport, or, or transfer patients, you know, how do I, you know, pull the trigger on a transport before the patient's too critically ill to move? And then if they are already pretty sick, how do I optimize them in a way that's extremely user-friendly? Because, you know, shout out to the EMS folks, the paramedics, EMTs. I know they're doing the best they can, but sometimes, you know, trying to explain some of the complex physiology and how, okay, yeah, you don't want to give this person fluids or here's a propofol. You can decrease this because, you know, if they get hypotensive, you can get some pressure back if you decrease the propofol infusion. And it's always like very complex clinical scenarios that I'm trying to sign out to folks as they're transitioning out of my current institution. So anyways, after I come off service, if I've transferred a patient out, I usually try to go and see them at whatever hospital they ended up at. So I started heading downtown to Tampa General. Now, I kind of live life on the edge. If you listen to last week's episode of talking about my interview experience. And uh, so I get in my car. You know, of course, I wait till the last minute. And I've got like a, a meeting that I need to get back uh, to the house for. So I only have a limited window. Now, my car situation right now, I got a 2011 Volvo XC90. This SUV, I actually got this car because I saw it in the movie Four Brothers. It's the one that Andre 3000 drove. And I was like, man, that's like a really cool car. That so looks very responsible. Volvos are very safe. So back in residency, I bought this Volvo used. It's a 2011 Volvo XC90. So now, you know, it's a little dated, but you know what? It is paid off. And it is very hard to get rid of a car that's paid off. It's got like 115, 120,000 miles on it. A couple of minor issues that I've had to fix along the way. I say let's to say, you know, like there was times like in fellowship, I had issues with the battery. Well, ultimately the battery ended up being dead. But like my first day of fellowship back in Chicago, I went to fire up the car and it wouldn't start. So I had to jump jump the car and then go to work. And then, you know, usually the battery charges while you're driving. But I left the hospital in Chicago. And once again, my car was like the battery was dead. And of course, it was the one time I got stuck on the top deck of the parking garage and it started to rain. So there's like a comedy of errors and I had to go get the starter box from security and jump my car. Then I ended up getting like, you know, one of those jumper battery things and I just kept it in the car. until finally I had some time off where I'm like, okay, let me go get this battery tested, swapped out the battery. Boom. We're good. But there was like a, a week and a half stretch where I had to jump my car like every morning and then on the way back from, from work. So anyways, this is, you know, the, the non-glamorous side of medicine. We all got struggles. Mine just happens to be my car. So the battery, it gave me some problems when I first moved down here, but that's got sorted out. The issue now is the tire. I got like a slow leak on one of my tires or a faulty sensor. I don't know which, 
because every like two or three weeks, it gives me a warning that I have low air in my tires. Now, mind you, it's been giving me this warning for like the past week, but I'm also like usually running late to work. So I barely have time just to get in the door on time. And I definitely don't have time to stop and put air in my tires. And then on the way home, I'm tired. I want to get home. So basically, I've been riding dirty for the good portion of a week with low air in my tires. In the morning, it's it's cold out, you know, for being in Tampa, it's a little cool out. So now I got to drive like half an hour down to this hospital downtown to see the patient that transferred down there. So I'm like, shoot, I should probably put air in my tires before I make this trek down to the city. And of course, I stopped by the nearest gas station on the way out. Well, the, the air pump's not working. I end up having to go to like four different gas stations before I finally find an air pump that's working. So I get that fixed. And then also, I'm kind of running on, on empty. The light's not on yet, but it's a little low. But I don't have time because I'm, I'm in a time crunch now. I wasted so much time looking for uh, an air pump. So I you know, head down the road to, to this hospital it's a half hour out, you know, I'm, I'm about, you know, 20 minutes goes by, I'm 10 minutes away from the hospital and my low oil light comes on. Now, mind you, I changed the oil in my car like a couple months ago and I put a reminder in my phone that I needed to change the oil and actually the reminder went off Monday, like earlier that day. So I was supposed to change the oil, but I didn't. I was like, you know, I'll be okay. Well, now it says low oil, like shoot, I can still make it. So I am five minutes away from this hospital, and all of a sudden, that little dash indicator turns red, and it says uh, critically low oil. I'm like, okay. So I, I call an audible, look up the nearest auto zone. Okay, it's 10 minutes back the way I came. Man, like literally everything's going wrong. So I turn around real quick, and I'm heading back the way I came, and I'm wondering, like, is my car just going to lock up? Is this is this it? I called my wife. I'm like, hey, text me what kind of oil I put in because I can never remember what kind of oil I put in the car, whether it's 5W30 or 10W, you know, whatever. So I'm getting there. I'm like three minutes away from this auto zone and my phone rings. It's a number I don't recognize. I got my ear pods in. So I answer it and it's like somebody from some financial advisor that I kind of talked to a little bit in the past and they're like talking about like, oh, when can we set up a meeting? And, and I was just like, I, I can't talk right now. Um, can you send me an email? We can try to get up the schedule. And then we then then we hung up. And that like 90 seconds was just enough time for me to miss the exit. So now I had another five minutes to go to get off of the next exit and come back to AutoZone and just hoping that my car wouldn't lock up. So long story short, made it to AutoZone, did get the wrong kind of oil. I think I got like 5W10 or something instead of 5W20 or 20 instead of 30. Anyways, filled up the car, topped it off, and then made it to this hospital, saw my patient, talked to some of the medical team, and then headed home. So again, the week was off to a horrible start. So then I got home, the week was going by, I was going to you know, record this episode sooner, and then life just started happening. It was just like such a low from like everything. Like I was trying to do something really nice out of the goodness of my heart. Like I don't get paid to go see these patients. I just like to have the continuity of care. And for folks who know that I didn't just like transfer you out and and just leave you and and everything that could go wrong went wrong during that trip. Now, the week turned around because I think it's Friday now. So on Wednesday, my buddy uh, Adam Milam, cardiac anesthesiologist, researcher out at Mayo Clinic in Arizona, called me. It's like, dude, our paper got accepted. 
So I'm on this huge uh, review paper that got accepted to the Journal of American Cardiology or Cardiologists. It's big, big time, a huge impact factor. And he kind of helped me along, put me on this paper. So that was the first piece of good news. And then about an hour later, I got another email from another colleague that was like, oh, our paper got accepted to this other journal, uh, Journal of Clinical Anesthesiology. So fill out this information. So that's two papers uh, in one day. So that's fantastic news. Then the very next day, which was Thursday, I got the results from a critical care board exam. It's one of the reasons I've been kind of in a funk and just kind of drifting around because I, I took this test. Now, when I took this board exam, I don't know if I like really said, I didn't want to say like exactly what I, what I was up to, but what had happened was I started my new job and then took a month of vacation, which is a whole other episode. We should talk about like, what do you do when you're done with training? Do you take that three month vacation? Do you take, you know, a couple of weeks? I ended up taking just like two weeks off because I needed the money, but I was able to schedule a whole month of vacation kind of later on in the year. So I started in September and then come back to work till the end of October. Now, the wife had a friend who got married in Greece. So the first part of that vacation was like 10 days in Greece, which we went to. And this is, mind you, like two weeks before my critical care board exam. So I actually did take some study materials and I was reading books and doing questions. Even though we were on vacation, I was studying. And like, ironically, there was like, it wasn't an in-flight emergency on the way back, but I'm like reading my uh, critical care uh, reference book. And then somebody like a couple seats over was like short of breath. And I'm like watching, like they didn't ask for like a doctor and I don't really volunteer for those things. Like, unless I think my help's really needed because like somebody's just like hypoglycemic or feels weird, then, you know, there's nothing like clinical you can really do. And then you just end up having to like work the whole flight. So if they asked for help, then I would have been like, okay, yeah, I can help. But they didn't. The flight attendants were like giving this lady oxygen and just, they didn't ask for help. So I didn't, I didn't help. But the irony of them like sitting here reading my critical care book on the flight. So we got back after that trip to Greece. We had like two or three days of downtime at home and then flew to Houston. My buddy James, he's a vascular fellow. We were in residency together. He's Nigerian. He had, he had a wedding. I'm like, well, I couldn't miss this. So even when I was booking my critical care board exam, I was mindful, oh, this is his wedding weekend and it's in Houston. I'm like, well, there's a lot of medical centers in Houston. There's definitely some testing sites in Houston. So I actually booked my critical care board exams that Saturday morning in Houston, Texas. Now, the, the, the problem is Nigerian weddings are like two-day or multi-day events. This was two. So they had a Friday night wedding and then a Saturday night wedding. Friday night was like the white wedding, which is also like traditional Nigerian. Fortunately, they don't really turn up at that wedding. And I was in it. I was part of the, the groomsmen's uh, tribe. Um, had the nice uh, fly Nigerian clothes on. And so I was able to go Friday night. We got in, you know, studying, studying, studying. And then I was like, okay, I'm done studying. And then we went to the wedding. Didn't turn up too much. Kind of got in by like 11 or midnight. Woke up. I drove like a half hour out to the testing center, Pearson B. And I forgot how like god awful these testing centers are from all the exams. I think I've done them like maybe 10 different times that I've gone into this, these Pearson view testing centers and it just doesn't, it never gets better. The feeling never gets better. So I walked into the testing center. I took the test. All my friends from residency, they'd come down for the wedding. Um, and they were all like at Turkey leg hunt, my wife, my good friend, Ashley, they were all like turning up and I'm sitting there like just clicking through test questions. And 
it felt awful, felt horrible, but it was done. And then I uh, went, met out with some friends, and then we turned up for James's wedding. Beautiful wedding, James and Melissa. Shout out to you. Congratulations. So glad I was able to there, be there to, to celebrate your special day. But yeah, you know, do as I say, not as I do. I wouldn't recommend doing that before your board exam. So that's why I was like super nervous because I'm like, man, if I fail this test, well, it was my own fault. It would have been worth it because that's a once in a lifetime event. And you got to show up for your people and it was 100% worth it. So then the very next morning was that Sunday that I flew out to Hawaii for the chess conference because Dr. Jamie Rutland, a friend of mine, was the keynote speaker. I got in, I had 45 minutes to get to his talk and then went to his talk. They met up with my friends, Amy and Isabel from residency and like hung out. So I was like pushing a straight 26 hour day. And then I went back to the hotel and actually recorded a podcast episode and still, you know, made the cut getting it posted for a Monday was there in Hawaii for the week and then went to San Francisco for the American Society of Anesthesiologists conference. And then finally came back and was at and work in the ICU on that Monday. So it was a crazy turn of events. Thankfully with a really good outcome, um, board certified, board certified in critical care medicine. So double board certified anesthesia and critical care. So, so super thankful for the good outcome. And I did study hard. I just made some questionable decisions along the way. So that's pretty much it. The, the last thing, so scrubs, right? I've tried to, I've tried to hold off on talking about this whole scrub situation. And at the risk of sounding like old and cranky and cantankerous, like I just don't understand what the big deal is with, with scrubs these days. Back in my day, it was a badge of honor to be able to wear scrubs. And at Howard, especially, we didn't really do much clinical stuff until our third year. So the first two years, you're pretty much wearing like maybe if you're if you could scratch up some some money or you could find some hand-me-down scrubs from somewhere, but you didn't get access to the scrub machine until you were third year, and usually not until you're on your like general surgery rotation or OB where you actually needed scrubs. It was like a pl- a, a privilege to put on scrubs. The other badge of honor was like, where did you get your scrubs from? In my closet, I still have two pairs of the OG Howard University Hospital scrubs with the red, uh, the red, uh, we call it stencil, on the chest and on on the pants leg. I can't wear them too often because they're they're literally like dry rotting, and if I bend over the wrong way, it's going to be all she wrote. But I've got scrub from Providence Hospital. I had some scrubs from MedStar, and UC Davis, I think I had a pair of scrubs from there. And it was kind of a badge of honor. You could, you could kind of wear scrubs from all these different locations. It's like, okay, where'd you get your scrubs from? You know, the, the Maryland shock trauma pink scrubs were a thing. So that was that was back in my day. And then came along all these Gucci designer scrub companies, the Figs, Fabletics, uh, Janu. And I understand, you know, in part, it's nice that they have these scrubs, right? Because the typical boxy out of the machine scrubs are not very flattering. They don't fit, especially women. They, just, they don't, they aren't made for a woman, curvy woman, like it's a mess. So I understand, you know, having some options that are actually appropriate and fitting and, and flattering. Um, but personally, this is my opinion. The pendulum has shifted so far in the other direction with all these extremely expensive scrubs. Scrubs should be like the cheapest clothing item ever, but somehow they're being sold for like 30, 45 bucks 
a piece. They're selling them like with the pants and the top. You know, as medical students, you know, you guys get sucked into and residents were sucked into this like coming up with the Joneses and this is what's popular. This is what's chic and this is what everybody's doing. And it's just like a lot of uh, money that's being spent on these custom scrubs when it's like if you're uh, surgical or work in an operating room, you can't wear them there anyways. And, you know, I understand, okay, you're in clinic, you don't want to wear your, your clothes. I think your, your street clothes and maybe in the pandemic, you know, be able to take clothes off and, but, you know, I, I personally wouldn't wear scrubs in a place where I'm going to get like contaminated and then have to go home and wash them in my own washer. There's nothing I love more than wearing street clothes into the hospital, changing into those hospital laundered scrubs, and then dropping those off at the end of the day. Cause it's kind of my way of just cleansing myself of, you know, whatever's happened that day. It's cathartic for me. That's my take. And then, because what triggered this, I, I've been holding my tongue because, let's be honest, if Figs wanted to sponsor the show, I, I would probably take their money. Janu, uh, Metalita, whoever's listening, that's cool. I still take your money. But, you know, I just can't. I, I, it doesn't, doesn't abide by me to, like, have all these kids, these young folks, spending all this money on scrubs. Uh, I think Fabletics has, like, a cheap set which is like oh it's all you need is, is a cheap pair of scrubs and, and thankfully they, they fit better but the icing on the cake was seeing that figs came out with like a star wars collaboration and really who asked for that who said i want my scrubs to come straight out of a star wars film i'm gonna be wearing baby yoda in the hospital like what are we doing there was like a commercial with some folks running around the desert wearing scrubs with the stethoscope and a medical kit and then they found this like box with some Star Wars scrubs. It's like, are, is this really where we're at? Um, little salty. Yeah, I did buy some Figs stock when they went IPO, and it's like, you know, you really start to understand the value of a company because who all like the healthcare industry is such a small market when it comes to actual clothing items, and it's so saturated now with all these options. So I don't know. If you requested that these Star Wars scrubs, let me know and why, why you did it. What are your thoughts on these Gucci scrubs? Enlighten me. I, you know, I've tried to be hip the whole time I've been on the, on the airwaves. I don't want to get canceled by the scrub police. And, uh, but yeah, let me know. And, and, and you can comment on the show with the five-star review or on the Instagram page. I should hopefully get back to posting, but um, let me know what's the deal with these scrubs these days. And and I haven't been posting much, you know, my heart is so heavy looking at social media and just the death and devastation that you see when you, when you turn on social media with what's going on in Palestine and my heart goes out to those, those people that are just dying, you know, any, anytime people are, suffering and dying um same things going on in africa um i guess it's still going on in ukraine and russia hasn't really been in the news but as someone that you know i served in the military it's actually veterans day when i'm recording this and just loss of life is always tragic and should be avoided should be protected so my heart does go out to those folks in the situation and always looking for good ways to get involved and to help. So if you know of any, feel free to send those my way. That is it for today's episode. Thanks for hanging out. I'm Dr. Stephen Bradley, host of the Black Daughters Podcast. 
double board certified critical care anesthesiologist. Tune in Monday again to hear an episode about the history of the Student National Medical Association. And then definitely take some time to sign up for the conference. It'll be in New Orleans, New Orleans, Nolens, however you say it. You got some good food, good drinks, good times. It's going to be lit. So make sure you're there. You can register now on the website, snma.com or .org. It's not hard to find. Thanks for tuning in to the Black Doctors Podcast. We're here because representation matters.